Our scripture reading this morning is found, there are two actually, two fairly lengthy passages. The first is found on page 1139 in your pew Bibles from Philippians chapter 2. And I encourage you to take out the pew Bible and if, if you don't have your own copy of the scriptures with you and follow along as we read together. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 18, page 1139 in the Pew Bible. Just give you a second to get there. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 18. This is Paul writing to the letter, a letter to the church in Philippi, which is in Macedonia in Greece. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you, too, should be glad and rejoice with me. Our next reading is on page 1178, 1178 in the Pew Bible. It's 
um, chapter 4 from the letter of Peter to the church in Asia. 1 Peter chapter 4, the, the entire chapter, found on page 1178 in the Pew Bible. And Asia, of course, at that time was uh, a Roman province, which is uh, not really corresponding to what we know as Asia nowadays, but more roughly co- corresponding to the, what we now know as the country of Turkey. So this is Peter's letter to those Christians. Chapter 4 of 1 Peter, page 1178. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And... If it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Proverbs 11.31. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do 
good. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray together with me? Lord Jesus, it is mind-boggling to think that we, in our suffering, somehow are able to participate in your suffering and that it somehow is given meaning. Lord God, we pray that you would give us open ears and open hearts this morning as our brother Mark brings the word that you've laid on his heart to us and enable him by your grace through your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, Pastor Yuri. This is not the end. And you are not alone. This is not the end. And you are not alone. Not only is this the title of my sermon for this morning, but it's also a summary statement of the biblical Christian hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And this hope that this is not the end and you are not alone, that no earthly event spells the end for those who are in Christ Jesus and none of us, none of us need be alone. This hope is available to every one of us. Now, I must confess that I've had to preach to myself over the last few months this very sermon and it's this message that this is not the end and I am not alone. And this has been a message that I've needed to hear over and over again, and I've needed to believe every time, and that I've needed to embrace for myself. Today, as in this very day, fittingly on a Sunday, December 31st, 2023, is my last day to serve as the senior pastor of Bethesda Church. And... I expect and assume my last day to serve as a senior pastor anywhere. And that's okay because I don't plan to go anyplace. I don't hope to find another job somewhere else. You people have become my people, and this place has become my place, along with my lovely family, of course. And uh, they're here this morning. Thank you for being here. For all intents and purposes, I... I started this journey in Fayetteville, North Carolina, where the Lord Jesus himself saved me by God's grace, and through faith, I was given the Holy Spirit. Shortly after, I came back from the first Gulf War to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I was baptized as a disciple of Jesus about a month later in June of 1991, And about a year and a month after that, in September of 1992, as I continued to pursue what I was assured was a promising career as a military intelligence officer in the United States Army, Jesus called me into another branch of his service with the words, literally, Mark, I'm calling you out of the Army. I was shocked. I didn't even know or imagine that God spoke to people like that at least not anymore, Uh, to people in the Bible, sure, but to me, I had never imagined it ever in my life a single time. But I couldn't deny him then, and I won't deny him now, that he did, and obviously he does speak to his people. 
About the same time as I was figuring out what this meant, including resigning from my army commission in military intelligence and preparing to go to seminary, Jesus drew my attention to a certain young lass who attended the same church as I, Lafayette Baptist Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and who looked and sounded like an angel. She sang like an angel. She still does, as you might have noticed. Just about a year and a half after that, Miss Shelley Register and I were married at the Lafayette Baptist Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Who were those children? Joined by 400 or so friends. We haven't done that bad, badly. Especially you. You look pretty good there. It's a bit of a before and after picture. Thanks to Suzanne Hill. Is Suzanne here this morning? There she is. Suzanne took the picture on the right. She wasn't there present for the actual event on the left, but she took that picture on the right uh, several years ago, four or five, something like that maybe, and uh, so I appreciate that. Of course, as you know, I I already had my son Christopher, and I'm so so very thankful that you you have embraced him and loved him and uh, have prayed for him and continue to do that. And God also has blessed us, as you also know, with two lovely daughters, Abby and Ashley. There are my three lovelies there on a, on a girl's lunch out last spring, I think it was, in the, at the Leaf. They're, they're talking about me over there because I didn't get any permission at all to show these pictures. And that's because they're here, and I want them to be, you know, engaged and surprised and join into the moment. So, so this is not the end. And you are not alone. And it's much more than the title of a one-off sermon by one nearing the end of a 30-year run as a local church ministry leader. Personally, in my mind and in my heart, I'd long been hoping for, planning for, to be honest, about 40 years of vocational ministry. This would have gotten me to 70 years old and 25 years as your senior pastor. And not long ago, this all seemed quite reasonable. And we were on that trajectory. I didn't know it, but at least five years ago, and as many as ten, depending on who you talk to, and uh, the, the, the clock on my future in life and vocational ministry started ticking more quickly. Various people in my life began noticing that something was off. Some things were changing, and I did too, honestly. My walking gait was becoming increasingly plotty, and labored. There was a period of time when Shelly and my girls were getting a little miffed at me, thinking that what I was experiencing was deteriorating knee joints that I hadn't gotten fixed because I was a chicken. And what a relief to find out that's not what the, uh, that's not all of it, right? I still have bad knees. Only recently I entered the queue for the first to be replaced to be followed as quickly as possible to the replacement of the other. But that was Parkinson's for the most part and, and not my knees. And so I was very relieved about that. I also began to show dystonia in my arms and hands. Dystonia is freezing in unnatural positions. Uh, My hands and fingers were also slowing. Typing was becoming literally painfully slow. Balance was also becoming a significant significant issue, causing me to fall off my bicycle several times. And I explained it away as not really anything, just me not making the right decisions at the right times. And then I crashed hard into a tree and that was that with that i haven't been on a bike since 
Thanks to our own Dr. Neil Creighton, I received a referral to a neurologist specializing in movement disorders, and he diagnosed me with a Parkinson's-like disorder in October 2020. I said to him, you diagnosed me in a half an hour visit? He responded, I diagnosed you in 15 seconds. All I had to do was watch you walk toward me in the hallway. Now, I'm told there are several disorders that look very much alike in the beginning stages of their development, but as they progress, their symptoms and diagnoses begin to diverge into discrete and distinct disorders. All of them are worse than Parkinson's. So if, if, if we start out with a Parkinson's-like disorder, we hope it's actually Parkinson's, just straight Parkinson's, none of these other things, because they are substantially worse. My MRI did give us a scare, though. A radiologist, or the radiologist who read my scan suggested, and I'm quoting here, shrinkage in the midbrain, possibly indicating progressive supranuclear palsy, which would have been much worse. You don't really forget hearing something like that ever. Uh, And I can't honestly say that I'm glad to be clinically confirmed to have just Parkinson's. I am relieved not to have progressive supranuclear palsy, though. If I'm honest, and and I'm, I'm very much trying to be, I must also admit what my family knows. And that is, there have also been cognitive changes over the last while that continue and will continue to progress throughout the course of the disease, though you may not yet see it. Over the last three years and a bit, the reality of Parkinson's has continued to sink in and make itself increasingly known. But it wasn't until we elders entered into a conversation in the spring of this year and continued on into the summer that I realized I couldn't go on as your senior pastor. Of course, Shelley and our girls have been integral parts of this conversation. But as I said at the AGM, the bottom line is this. Bethesda needs someone with a sense of vision for the future and the energy to follow through. The Lord helping us, of course. I believe the Lord Jesus himself, in his grace and mercy, has brought Yuri Hooker along with his family for this very purpose, to love us, to help us, to work with us, to lead us. And it fits perfectly the pattern the Lord has established among us for, I guess, almost 15 years now, and that is providing what we need before we even know that we have the need, and then we have the need, and oh, presto, God has already It's not exactly presto, but but God has already provided among us the very person uh, that we need to fill a particular role. So we've come to an end, you and I. This is the last day that I serve as your senior pastor and my last sermon as such. Somebody said something before the the service, like, it better be a good one. Oh, no, that was me. Sorry. But I also hope that we might come to a new beginning of sorts. It's not that I know what that should or could or might look like or be like. I don't. I do, however, believe the central truth of our message. I believe that it is a true statement of our truly biblical Christian hope in the person, in the presence, and in the power of Jesus Christ. Every earthly end becomes an eternal beginning for all who are in Christ Jesus. Every earthly end becomes an eternal beginning for all who are in Christ Jesus.
We may not know what those earthly endings and eternal beginnings will look like or turn out to be. We might not even know that the one is happening and followed by the other. And I certainly have come to that conclusion that I don't in this case either. But our risen Lord Jesus does. And if we keep our central transition question clearly in view, which is, what's best for Bethesda? I I, I guess I didn't get that slide in. What's best for Bethesda? Jesus himself will show us the way. His way, this I believe. Now let's turn to the scriptures for the rest of our time together. That's enough about me. Beginning with 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll just be doing a quick survey of it and and move to Philippians in a moment. But here in the marvelous book of 1 Peter, which is one of my favorites in the Bible, Peter has just finished an important and challenging section in chapter 3 concerning the biblical Christian imperative that we must be willing to, and many of us will, suffer for the sake of righteousness, even to the point of death, just as our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ himself did. And now, with the help of the Holy Spirit, Peter is about to apply such a willingness to suffer to the earthly lives and the eternal purposes of those who place our faith in Jesus. So this is no no soft sell of the Christian religion or even the Christian faith. This is an, pretty much an in-your-face, if you follow Jesus, you will follow Jesus in every way. And be ready for it, don't be surprised about it, and don't be set off course by it either. This is the way of Christ. As we look at these few verses, I'd like for us to think about uh, this statement. For those who are in Christ Jesus, and that's probably the most important thing of each one of these points, because this is specifically for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we are not in Christ, we will not and we could not live this way. And there is no hope apart from him if we're not. So for those who are in Christ Jesus, the first earthly ending and eternal beginning, I'm saying in this passage, right? I'm not saying in the universe. I'm saying the first in this passage earthly ending and eternal beginning, is allowing God's word and God's spirit to form within us the very mind of Christ, dying to ourselves and living for God. Another way of putting this is the key to right thinking. And I, I don't know if you noticed it when Pastor Yuri was reading these two passages, but, but the main topic of those two passages are thinking rightly or thinking with the mind of Christ. That was the main point of both of those passages. And if we will do that, then these other things follow. So for those who are in Christ Jesus, the first earthly ending and eternal beginning is allowing God's word and God's spirit to form within us the very mind of Christ, dying to ourselves and living for God. Or, or, or in other words, the key to right thinking That is, thinking as true disciples of Jesus Christ, thinking as the born-again children of God, and therefore the key to right practice of biblical Christian faith is allowing the Holy Spirit to form within us the very mind of Christ. 
But what does that mean? Well, let's look at our text and see what it has to say. First Peter chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. Oh, and if you, if you don't mind, I'm going to skip verse 6. I don't normally do that, but we could find ourselves in some pretty deep weeds pretty quickly, and I'd, I'd like to stay on point as much as I can from here on out this morning. I think there's a fairly simple uh, meaning of, chap- of, of verse 6, uh, but it's, it's a minority opinion and not the majority opinion, So, uh, but we're just going to jump over that pothole for a second. Not that the text is po- a pothole, but over that possibility of tripping ourselves up um, and uh, continue on to verse 7. So verse 1 through 5. Since, therefore, so since all of that is true that has come before in chapter 3 about suffering for righteousness, suffering as Christ suffered, um, since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, in a a physical body, literally is what it means, as opposed to some spiritualized, um, mythological, metaphorical analogy to living in the flesh. No, he's saying... Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, in, the, in body, just as you have a body, he had a body and went to the cross and gave himself up bodily at the cross. Arm yourselves, watch it now, with the same way of thinking. What kind of thinking got Jesus from his place in heaven to the cross. I'm nowhere near that. 30 years on, 32 years on in terms of Christian life, 30 years on in ministry. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh, now he's talking about suffered in the flesh, in our bodies, for our faith. He's not talking about suffering as, as we read uh, earlier. He's not talking about suffering for just desserts, for the consequences of our bad acts, thrown in jail for killing somebody or, or, or <clears throat> experiencing the death penalty because we killed somebody or something like that. That's not the kind of suffering he's talking about. That's not suffering, that's punishment. He's talking about the kind of suffering that we encounter, that we experience as a result of our Christian faith in a, a culture and society around us that denies God and rejects the gospel. That's, what it, that's the kind of suffering that he's talking about. So just one, one aside, so when we read in the scripture also that we are to go and visit folks in prison, it's probably not, there's nothing wrong with prison fellowship ministries and that sort of thing, but it's probably not just going to visit any, lottie anybody in the prison. He's probably talking about people who were imprisoned for their faith. And that happened a lot during the time that the New Testament was being written. Now, it's a, it's, a, it's a good, right, and necessary thing for us to visit folks in prison. And there are a lot of great evangelistic ministries, including prison fellowship ministry. And, and, and God bless them and all that. But that's probably not usually what the scripture is talking about. It's being with our brothers and sisters who have been thrown in jail because they've been faithful to their Lord. Same is true here. The suffering is suffering for the faith. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So there's, there's suffering for a righteous purpose. They're choosing 
not to give in to the passions and, and desires of their flesh, but they are, they are choosing to crucify the flesh, as we read elsewhere. Verse 2, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, so something has happened, they've come to faith, they now have a different perspective on life, they're no longer living for themselves, but now they are living in a different way, and what is that different way? For the will of God. No longer to live for the rest for, for the rest of the time in the flesh and human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. And don't, don't we all know that, or at least most of us? I, there are a number of us who became Christians as adults. I did. I was almost 30. So if we take mid-teens, okay, mid-teens, from 15 to 30, so that's half my life at that point. I lived out in the world a lot. And so when he says, it's been long enough for you to live that way, I know exactly what he's talking about, and I know that he's speaking the truth. Yeah, it was time for me to do something different. And that something different was live no longer for myself and chasing after the passions of my own flesh, but living for for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And, and probably all of us have had, probably I have less of this because, you know, I'm a preacher, I'm a pastor, I'm a church guy, so living in a particular way is actually expected rather than surprising. Uh, but out there in the world, I understand that those of us who live an authentic Christian life, we encounter resistance, and, and we also encounter this surprise that he's talking about when people, when, when we say, no, I can't do that. No, I won't go there. I'm not judging you, I'm just saying, I can't go there, I can't do that. Did that before, don't do that anymore. That's a great statement. That, that rhymes. George, that rhymes. Don't do that anymore. Don't do that anymore. How did I put that? Did that before. Don't do that anymore. That's good. I'm, I'm going to write that down. It's on tape so I can get back to it. My Parkinson's brain doesn't remember things like this. <clears throat> but, but the time has passed, and the time has passed for us to live for ourselves, to live, live for our own passions and desires, but to live for the will of God because Jesus died for me and he died for you and he died for us and he is worth our investment and participation and sharing in his death as well. And in the end, we, we don't have to be judges on this earth. We are not judges on this earth because there is one who will give, who, who, to whom we will give an account, us too, And who is ready, as it says here, to judge the living and the dead. So for those who are in Christ Jesus, the first earthly ending and eternal blessing is allowing God's word and God's spirit to form within us the very mind of Christ, dying to ourselves and living for God. The second thing I want us to think about, this is the second of four, so we're we're moving along. For those who are in Christ Jesus, the second earthly ending and eternal beginning in this passage 
is a very practical, biblical Christian realization that our historical lives on this earth, our bodily lives on this earth, is not all there is. This is probably, this is one of the most offensive um, uh, counterpoints to atheism. Which is where YOLO comes from, right? You only live once. Hold on. No, that's not true, actually. Or maybe it's true, but we live on forever is a better way of putting it. But our historical lives on this earth is not all there is. It's just the beginning of an eternal existence with God in Christ Jesus. Verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Now, (laughs) you, you might wonder, you know, we've got a bold statement here. The end of all things is at hand. And I say, this is not the end. Hold on. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So this is not all there is, and it's just a beginning of an eternal existence with God in Christ Jesus. And even for those who don't believe, it's it's not the end. He's just talked about the one who is ready to judge the living and the dead, and we all will stand before him on our own. Some will stand before him, most will stand before him on their own merits. Born-again believers, disciples of Jesus Christ, by faith and hope in him, will stand before him in the righteousness of Christ. That's the difference. Either way, this is not all there is. But this is not the end either. It's close, it's nigh, it's coming, but we still have lives to live. And the point here is, so long as you have breath on this earth, live for the will of God, no longer for the passions of your flesh. That's his point. And do that in the context of a community of people who are doing that also so you can encourage each other, you can be with each other, you can lift each other up, you can strengthen each other when you're weak. I'm going to keep moving. Thirdly, for those who are in Christ Jesus, the third earthly end and eternal beginning in this passage is a conscious that's important, deliberate, that's important, and decisive, that's important, placing of our whole hope in Jesus Christ. Verses 12 to 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I, when I was studying this and I was thinking, I'm, I'm thinking about Enyat, and I, I'm thinking about his family coming across the mountains in the winter, and I'm thinking about what, what got them from Afghanistan over the mountains into Pakistan. How, how much strength and fortitude and faith and hope did that take to do that? And 
Personally, I've never experienced anything like that, and I don't anticipate that I will. Not that I wouldn't be willing. I, I guess I wouldn't have a choice. But how many of us have paid a price like that, have persevered in faith like that to get to the other side? And here, the writer, in this case, Peter, by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, says, do not be surprised at that when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice. Insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So there, there we are standing in the airport. Nope, sorry, it was at uh, Gail's house after we picked them up and got them at the airport, and yet began, began to testify to me. We got here by the power of God. God got us here. We, there's no other explanation for it. We got here by God's power. And uh, that was a tremendous, tremendous affirmation um, of, of what we've been praying for, what we've been giving for, what we've been hoping for these last two years. And here they are, right here with us today. What a wonderful, wonderful testimony to the, the, the faithfulness and provision of God. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian... There are very few places in, in the New Testament, actually, that the word Christian is used. I think maybe only twice, and this is one of them. There's one in Acts, I know, and I think maybe this one uh, is the second. Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? That's what they call a rhetorical question. Verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while, not waiting, while doing good. Now, at first, this might sound like a, a a whole lot like a, a standard, obvious, reiterated, and regurgitated Christian statement of faith or truth to which we might respond. Of course it is, and move on. For those who are in Christ Jesus, the third earthly end and eternal blessed beginning is a conscious, deliberate, and decisive placing of our whole hope in Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, we've heard that before. Thank you very much. But don't do that. And here's why. There is nothing standard or obvious or reiterative or regurgitative about the Christian's hope in Christ Jesus, not if it's real. As we process this point, I want us to think about this one thing. For us to place our whole hope in Jesus Christ, both for this life and the next, both as individuals and as a congregation, what things and people, how many things and people, what kind of things and people must we withdraw our hope from not our hope for. We still can hope for others. We can still hope for something in terms of events or material blessing. But, but, but our hope from, we cannot and we must not place our hope in those things any longer. Our pastors and other church leaders, yes, withdraw your hope from them. Our fellow congregants, yes, by all means. Our spouses, that's getting pretty close to home. But okay, all my hope is in Jesus. Our kids, yes. Our parents, yes. Our neighbors and friends, yes. Our jobs, yes. Our employers, yes. Our teachers, yes. Our education and credentials that we work so hard for, yes. 
our police officers, our doctors and other healthcare professionals, our healthcare system, our government, our prime ministers, presidents, and other governmental officials. Yes, all of them. We could go on and on listing the things and people we might place our hope in. So what's the answer to the question? How many of these, real or imagined, must we withdraw our hope from in order for us to place our whole hope in Jesus Christ alone? Answer, all of them. All of them. Turn back with me now to the marvelous book of Philippians, and we're almost done. Philippians chapter 4. I I appreciate Philippians chapter 2, sorry. Uh, I, I appreciate all of your greetings and expressions of goodwill. I, I appreciate you coming here. We've got the Riles over here. I'm so glad that they're here. We've got Ed and Joy here. I'm so glad that they're here. We've got the Wetsteins. I can't believe that we've, you know, I'm so glad they're here. We've got Naveen and Akram, of course. And I'm so glad that all of you are here. And, and, and I must confess something that over, over the course of ministry, I've always probably been over the top celebrating and, and welcoming newcomers. And a little too understated in celebrating the people who stuck around. Thank you for sticking around. Whether it's been for 16 years or 20 years or 30 years or 40 years or we still have, we still have a, um, a, a charter member who is still with us, Betty Campbell, who was here in July, on July 16th of 1944, the first, very first she was Mrs. Partridge then. But um, she, was, she was here. Thank you for sticking around and making your ongoing contribution week in and week out, month after month after month, year after year after year after year, and we celebrate you too little. And so I appreciate that very much. Well, did you know that the book of Philippians, it's a fun fact here, It's the only letter written by Paul the Apostle under the superintendence of the Holy Spirit to the various churches, mostly of Asia Minor, that has no words of correction to the church. Now, there is that plea for Syntyche and Euodia to agree with each other, but no correction to the church or the church's leadership or or of any systemic issue uh, it's the only book in the New Testament that doesn't have some sort of correction, at least to the churches from Paul um, or from the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine the Holy Spirit writing us a letter and having no correction? I personally can't imagine that. But at every point, he basically encourages them to keep on keeping on as they have been, literally until Jesus comes. And I think that would be just that would be just great. What a testimony that is. And And apparently it's possible because here it is. So as we simply read these 18 verses, I want us to be thinking about something. This is it. This is important. This may be the most important thing I say all day. Purposeful unity, spiritual unity, even sacrificial unity in the church among even biblical Christian congregants is not, don't don't miss that, is not the result of us thinking the same thoughts or even agreeing about any particular matter. Yes, no, right, wrong, up, down, high, low, good, bad, Mark, Yuri, neither. We start all over. That is not the result, or that is not what unity results from. Truly, purpose, this is point four, and last, 
truly purposeful unity, truly spiritual unity, there's your hint, truly sacrificial unity in the church and among even well-meaning biblical Christian congregants comes only from sharing together in the mind of Christ as a grace gift of the Holy Spirit. That's it. That we agree about something may merely be the result of us being too much alike. It might be the result of us coalescing together because birds of a feather flock together, you know. We may just share the same preferences, like the same things, have the same politics. I could go on, and so could you, but to have the mind of Christ? Now that would be a miracle that can only and will only come about by the very presence of the Holy Spirit in us and among us which is just one of the very many reasons we desperately need him well beyond our knowledge or confessions, and we simply cannot do without him. Philippians chapter 1, continuing to think about right thinking. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He's going to explain what he's talking about here in just a second. Hold on. Verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So how do we do that? How do we get the mind of Christ on a matter, or on anything, really? Well, it's quite simple to to map out, but it's quite difficult to actually pull off. Point number one, pray. Point number two, pray some more. Then discuss without preformed conclusions. Don't come to win an argument. Don't come to get our way. Come to hear what the Lord has to say and what his mind on it is. Discuss some more without judgment of others or their positions or their ideas. And then pray. Pray some more. Read the Bible. Study the Bible. Pray. Pray some more. Discuss what we're hearing about hearing without preformed conclusions. Discuss what we're hearing without judgment. Pray. Pray some more. Repeat as long as necessary until we have the mind of Christ on a matter and we all agree about that. I think that might get us there. It's harder. It's intended to be. But it's good. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is not the end. And we need not be alone. Let's pray together.
God, our Father, we thank you once again for this, your word and also for your spirit that takes merely human words and infuses them with spiritual power. It's not because of volume or length or, or any other thing than your power that raises us up from the dead, that feeds us by your word, that sustains us in, uh, in, in this living uh, spiritual reality that forms us together as a congregation of Jesus followers, disciples of Christ, and that sustains us together. I pray that you would continue to do so in such a way that we would, in fact, demonstrate the mind of Christ in purposeful, spiritual, and actual unity. In Jesus' name, amen.